Welcome to this Thursday episode of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, filling in again for Mark King. Um, on today's episode, we got a special guest, just like yesterday, speaking with Brandon Abraham, another fellow contributor with the Grizzly Bear Blues. We'll get right into the conversation with him in a second. In the second segment, well, to go into detail about Jaron Jackson Jr., looking at him compared to the other rookies from a statistical analysis. And in the third segment, we'll recap the big victory against the Portland Trailblazers. But jumping right in, I have Mr. Jack Noonan uh, with me uh, today. Uh, Jack is an associate editor with Grizzly Bear Blues. He also contributes to Celtics blog. He's a big Boston fan. And, of course, above anything else, he's also a big Tennessee Vols fan. But we won't get into all that. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Coming off a great Grizzlies victory right there. So, doing well tonight. It was it, it was it was fun to watch. I uh, it, it definitely finally Jaron Jackson Jr. got the chance to play. So, uh, we, we we were excited <laughs> to see sure. that. <laughs> well, um, so Jack, just got a slate of questions here for you. Um, typically we we talk with uh, site manager Joel Molinax. He's a bit under the weather uh, today. So, uh, thank you for for um, jumping in and and, and uh, being able to uh, come on with us. But want to get right into it. Um, a big, a big theme this week uh, through Grizzly Bear Blues, um, with uh, us both being a part of that um, blog, has been uh, JB Bickerstaff. But we had fellow uh, Grizzly Bear Blue contributor um, Brandon Abraham on yesterday. He wrote a, a pretty fantastic article earlier this week, and there was also a Twitter poll. I think it had over 400 volt votes. And just in general, people were, were pretty satisfied with which AB's performance and it makes sense with the Grizzlies overachieving this year. But from your past articles, you seem to have a pretty good grasp of, you know, offensive sets. And that's something that, that has been kind of like a, kind of a criticism of JB Bickerstaff so far, kind of a, seems like there's a lack of creativity on offense, but just want to talk with you for a second. The Grizzlies need value added through their coaching uh, to play against playoff teams. How do you think JB can set the Grizzlies up for success? on offense obviously defense is a strength but how do you think he might be able to take the personnel and use them as effectively as they can on offense i believe kind of going on the theme it goes through a piece of it can go through jaron jackson because right now it's looking like mark and mike are getting the majority of the minutes from the majority of the offense flowing through them i mean that's what you expect with the grizzlies like you know that's just what any coach would do but it comes. It becomes difficult when you have Garrett Temple, who's slumping from the beginning of his hot streak from the beginning of the year, and Kyle Anderson, who's mainly defense first. So it, it's hard to have any offense stem outside of Mike and Mark on its face. But we're seeing, I mean, this incredible young rookie blossom in front of our eyes, and that's what he needs to key on a little bit more and give him more flexibility in the offensive sets letting him, when they get a matchup down down low, to exploit it. Because I, I've written an article that I think you were alluding to with Jaron Jackson's game on his um, spin moves around the basket. And we saw this even back in his Michigan State days. He, back, he has his back to the basket and can spin right around and does a great drive and spins right around and uses the baseline and thumb to lay it up and in. And it's it's created by one-on-one. So it's when he can get isolation around the block area, the blow block area, and create from there. So that's what I would say that from the starting five itself, who I would key in for him to increase the offensive production 
and not have to rely so much on Mark and Mike. That's awesome analysis, and, and I'll tell you that that's what it's, it seemed like, in my opinion. Um, when Jaron can get low in the paint and get that ball five feet in front of the basket, he's lethal. I don't think I've seen him miss, or at least he's been fouled. So, so I completely agree with you. And, and we saw that um, a little bit last night, thankfully, with the uh, with the Grizzlies beating the Trailblazers. That we Jaron Jackson finally was featured, and the offense just seemed to move so much more fluid. Um, but going along with that, you know, uh, before last night, the Grizzlies had been on a, a three and six um, a slump um, after they had been the number one team in the West. Uh, a big reason for that was, um, you know, obviously fatigue and potentially injury setting in with a uh, Mark and Mike. I mean, you you've seen the Grizzlies play. You you've seen that Mark and is not as effective. It seems like Mike's getting a little bit healthy. But but do you? How would you approach? Um, the clear fact that, you know, the season's now having an impact on Mark and Mike. How would you approach them going forward, especially with the fact that we're playing, you know, such a tightly packed schedule against quality teams? You're going to have to rest Mark at some point. And that's just, I mean, it, you know, we all know how competitive Marcus Gasol is. And, I mean, it just he's the lifeline of this team and wants to be play 48 minutes if he could, you know. But because of this, I guess it might not be new, but this, I guess, recently aggravated ankle injury that um, he actually commented on. Uh, Chris Harrington brought it up in a, in a great, I guess it was an interview turned into an article, but he touched on it. And Mark went out there and played on a bad, bad ankle. And it's just things like that are great for, you know, team chemistry, team morale. Like it's great to rally around. But after if that happens, on more than one back-to-back, it's going to possibly take him out for more than, like, you know, a long stretch of games, unwilling injury, so to speak. So it's it's important for JB to kind of sit Mark down and be like, listen, either play super limited minutes on some of these, like when the schedule groups up around the Christmas time, or else sit all together and just take a game off. And I had uh, I had mentioned um, uh, on the Tuesday show after uh, the Nuggets game, you know, I, I really laid into the main reason why we were we were unsuccessful was because of stubbornness on Mark's end, you know, because you know right now he's just he's a liability. Last night he, he he showed up and he played well, but there's just some stretches where you know his stubbornness of wanting to play with an injury, he's doing more harm than good. But you can't blame his competitiveness. And I also got onto JB because you know at some point you just got to sit Mark down and be like, listen, we need to do this. So yeah, I agree. Rest rest seems like it's it's probably the, the best remedy. Um, besides the injuries um, coming into this year, we knew that one big weakness of the Grizzlies uh, was going to be rebounding, and, and it's starting. I, I think this stretch of games right here is exposing that more than any point previously in the season. Sixty nine rebounds given up to the Lakers on Saturday night, starting with the Pelicans last Friday through the Rockets this Saturday, that's six games in nine days in, in which we're going to face five of the top ten teams in offensive rebounding percentage. I mean, it, it's clear that the Achilles heel for this team is rebounding, and for a team with not a lot of room for error I mean, trying to pursue the playoffs, they need to find some way to try to minimize its negative impact. What thoughts do you have about uh, do you have about how the Grizzlies might be able to 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 try to minimize the, the negative impact of their inability to rebound? It's difficult because the wings the wings on the court right now either 
I mean, of course, Chandler Parsons and Dylan Brooks are injured, so that hurts the wing depth. And that's, I'm sure you all have talked about that, and we've talked about it on the site many, many weeks <laughs> to this point. But the Kyle Anderson isn't the rebounder that most teams have at the wing position, that three position, the three guard type position that helps the overall rebounding numbers. So it actually, this is one thing that I've all kind of thought after watching this lineup changes and Bickerstaff getting some slack from, you know, Memphis Twitter and Memphis just media in general about his lineup sets and changes and everything. If, cause you want, cause I believe Jermichael Green is one of the best rebounders on the Grizzlies. And it's tough because, you know, the argument comes up, who do you play, Jaron or Jermichael? I think if there's a way that they, they both could play, and Jared could play more of a Gasol role out around the um, top of the arc and coming in when needed, and Jaron can pound rebound. And both of that combined could let Mark rest a little bit longer, and so he won't have to stay out and be, like you said, stagnant on the offense, and especially on the offensive boards and defensive boards. But Jermichael right now is leading the team in offensive rebounds, averaging 2.4 a game, and that's that's a good margin. I mean, that's, that's two extra possessions each game. And other players on the team can't put up that production on the rebounding side of things. So if, if Jermichael got a, more of a chance with Jaron as well, so he wouldn't stunt Jaron's growth, it would be an interesting little lineup change that Bickerstaff could go going forward while also helping resting Mark. I, I think that's a that's a that's an excellent point, Jack. I, 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 to be honest with you, I had not thought about that, but that that makes perfect sense. That takes care of the, that's a way to kind of cure two of your weaknesses. So so great insight there. Uh, speaking of Jaron Jackson Jr., um, uh, through your experience with writing and things like that, you have uh, um, pretty good insight uh, through other areas of the nation, which are. Um, being um, which are in the midst themselves uh, of seeing, you know, um, a pretty big, pretty talented rookie from this class as well. Um, so, you know, you're not in the Memphis area yourself, so you got a little bit of insight, kind of how that, you know, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, how they're impacting other areas outside of Memphis. What is the perception of Jaron Jackson? versus these other rookies is he on the same level is is most of the hype here in memphis what's your take on on how the um how folks outside of the memphis area uh look at jaron jackson jaron jackson right now i mean i'm currently in the atlanta area so of course you got the trey young hype and buzz and everything and that's kind of he started out at a very very hot pace and so the buzz was the trade was worth it you know the Doncic trade i'm alluding to the trade was worth it, yada, yada, yada. Trey Young's going to be the next step. And then he kind of hit a swoon, which all rookies do. And especially rookies like Trey Young, you can't really look into too much in the first, what is it, three months of the season. But the the hype around Jaron out here and kind of on the national level, even, I mean, that I don't national level meaning I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not tuned into the national beat too, too much. But um, it is – that he's a, already going to already one of the best rookies has a chance to be rookie of the year if something happens to Luca not not injury wise but like a swoon in his stats or something along those lines and um, that he's the real deal that Memphis completely hit a home run with this pick and that it's looking good especially finally being able to build a young core and not having to rely on aging veterans that 
Memphis, the Memphis team and area has seen over the past five, three, five years. Gotcha. And that's, and that's, that's refreshing to hear. And I think that's what, you know, Memphis fans want to hear. I know that Memphis takes pride in kind of, you know, being, having that rebel attitude of, you know, they like being underrated, being the underdog, uh, being able to perform when, you know, not much is expected of them. But you, you just know that, that Memphis has always wanted that transistent uh, superstar potential that, you know, when people think of Memphis, there's like, you know, this guy really is one that can make a national impact. And I do think they finally have that in, uh, in Jaron Jackson. So um, it, it's going to be a fun debate. Um, uh, for you know, the second segment of this show, we're going to compare him to the rest of the rookies today. It's going to be a fun debate for a while with this rookie class. You know, Jack, I'll wrap up with this question. You know, also with you um, being able to have a, a unique perspective outside of the Atlanta area. You know, talking about you know within Memphis and outside, what is the? How does it feel following the Grizzlies this year versus last year? I mean, last year at this time. We were starting to try to find as many tank gifts, and uh, we were passing around the tank commander nickname. Uh, and this year, we're sitting here trying to figure out, you know, is Jaron Jackson a Hall of Famer, and what what players can we add <laughs> to the playoff run? How, how's the feeling changed just in the year's time frame last year compared to this year, and how much better does it feel? It's a complete 180, and it's it's so much better. I mean, you know, it's writing's my passion, so I could write about, you know the worst team or the best team. It's just, but being able to write for a, a team that has a passionate fan base in Memphis, of course they do, regardless if the team's good or bad, but also the narrative behind that team that I'm writing for. And like you said, at the top of the top of the introduction, I'm a Boston sports fan. I've grown up liking Boston sports and my dad's from Boston, all that. So I came, kind of came into GBB in general as an outside opinion that wasn't from the Memphis area itself. So it, it's so much nicer and blatantly just so much nicer to write for a good team than a tanking team, even though that I definitely, if you look back at my archives, definitely was all for the tank. But now that the team is good, it's all for a playoff push and how to make this team, like you said, how to make this team better, adding possible pieces, a scoring wing, a scoring guard, stuff that could make the team moving forward a chance to be able to, you know, ride a little bit longer into the playoffs. <laughs> And, you know, the thing that I'll say is, is that, you know, there are varying opinions on, you know, did the tank make sense? You know, do what was it worth it? You know, for a small market, should they do it? You know, I think at the end of the day, if Jaron Jackson Jr. is the result of that, I don't want to do it again. But I would say for, for this one time, we pretty much knocked it out of the park. So um, I definitely and agree is, with you. It is about time because Chris Wallace has done some damage. So it's nice for him to finally be able to claim a good first round pick as long as he doesn't trade him for bill or another asset we'll be good <laughs> yeah let's, um, not, let's not speak I, too soon <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly correct so jack i, I want to end the uh um, in the in the uh talk with you today for a little surprise for for our regular host mark king of course me and you both are tennessee volunteer fans and of course as you know this saturday uh, Tennessee uh, is coming uh, to Memphis for, for a pretty big matchup. You got any predictions for the game? I am hoping and confidently saying that Tennessee will beat Memphis. And like you said, I went to, I went to the University of Tennessee, and so I'm a diehard Vol. And 
their rivalry with Memphis, I like that it's getting started again because it's always good for any any in-state competition. But I think that Memphis is still building, you know, with Penny just coming in and everything like that. So I believe that Tennessee will, will have the talent to win. Now, coming off a huge Gonzaga win past Sunday, they might have a letdown this weekend, this Saturday, but we'll see. So I, I predict a Tennessee win. It will be a lot closer than like, probably the outside – community thinks, the outside Tennessee community thinks, but I think Tennessee can pull it off. I'm going to uh, end uh, the uh, show tomorrow with some thoughts on, on just Memphis and the Grizzlies and the Tigers and everything like that in general, but uh, but I agree with you. Um, Jack, if you'll hold on um, after this uh, segment just for a moment, and uh, I want to I'll talk with you a little bit more, but I do want to thank you for coming on with us today. I wish you nothing but the best. I know you've got some great things going on um, outside of the sports realm, so so wish you nothing but the best in the upcoming months, but very much appreciate you coming on and talking about this great insight as usual, and happy holidays to you and your family, sir. Happy holidays to you, and thanks so much for having me on. We'll be right back with the second segment of Locked on Grizzlies. Thanks for being with us. How they're... Welcome back to the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. In this segment, as we uh, do every Thursday, uh, we want to look at Jaron Jackson Jr. from a statistical analysis, kind of compare him to rookies around the league. But I want to take it a step further. Uh, we're going to look at Jaron Jackson um, in terms of his production against other rookies in the league. Also want to look at how Jaron Jackson as a rookie is impacting uh, the Grizzlies in terms of their offensive game plan. And, and to take it one step further, um, also have, have a pretty interesting nugget of information to share comparing Jaron Jackson uh, to other rookies in NBA history. But but starting off uh, comparing uh, Jaron Jackson to the rookies in the league, um, just cutting straight to the point when it comes to the Rookie of the Year campaign, we're now a third of the way into the season. We have enough validation now to kind of see where rookies are, how they're producing. The trends should start being enough for you to really formulate an opinion of how each rookie right now um, is playing their game, what, what, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, um, so on and so forth. There's a big difference between the 25 to 27 sample game size versus a 5 to 7 sample game size. And so the reason I bring that up is because just simply straightforward, I would put Jaron Jackson fourth of the Rookie of the Year campaign right now. That's not saying he's the fourth most talented rookie in the league. That's not saying that at all. It's just that typically in these type of award races, um, counting statistics are, are what count the most. And Luka Doncic, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton, each of those players are only playing five more minutes per game on their team than Jaron Jackson Jr., but they are on teams that are, in some cases, significantly less talented than the Grizzlies. Those teams just don't have as many options to produce as the Grizzlies do in terms of their roster. So those rookies have the ability to be used more, they have the ability to be featured more, so on and so forth, and so they have the ability to put up more counting statistics, and it shows um, in, in uh, the uh, two the year-to-date statistics. So when I say that Jaron Jackson is fourth in the Rookie of the Year campaign, it's just because of the fact that he is going against other rookies who are simply putting up higher totals due to the fact that they're being used more. But overall, in terms of win shares, that's an overall cumulative um, statistic that shows how how much a player contributes uh, to their team's wins. Right now, Jaron Jackson is actually second. He's right behind DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton is at 2.3 win shares for the season. Jaron Jackson is at two. Um, Jaron Jackson is eighth in three-pointers. And the amazing thing about that is 
Each of the seven rookies above him in terms of three-pointers made this season are all guards. Just goes to show how versatile Jaron Jackson's offensive game is. He's fifth in rebounds, 11th in assists, um, fourth in steals, second in blocks, and seventh in offensive rebounds. So what does this go to show? It shows that statistics match the perception of what Jaron Jackson Jr. is. These show that he is a very versatile inside-outside threat when it comes to offense. It shows that rebounding right now is probably the one part of his game that he still is working on to be able to make a significant contribution night in and night out. But it also goes to show the fact that since he's fourth in steals and second in blocks, the amazing natural talent this kid has defensively, which is something you don't usually see with rookies. Typically with rookies, the last part of their game to develop to to being effective in the NBA is the defense. That's not the case with Jaron Jackson. Just as much of an impact he can make on offense, he makes an even bigger one on defense. In a few minutes, we'll see just how big of an impact. On a per-game basis, he's fifth in points, fifth in rebounds, second in blocks, fifth in steals, and fifth in field goals. So, again, what this goes to show is that because of his all-around game, even though he's probably used less and is being featured less, Jaron Jackson still is able to, on a per-game basis, produce enough to be right up there with the best rookies in the league. So uh, just another uh, point of validation to show how rare of a talent Jaron Jackson Jr. is. Going back to the Rookie of the Year campaign discussion, um, right now Trey Young has nearly 80 more assists than Luka Doncic um, in in the assist total. Um, It just goes to show with Trey Young how effective he can be beyond scoring. He is a true guard, and when the ball is in his hands, he'll be able to make sure uh, that the team on offense is getting the be- the ball to the best option night in and night out. DeAndre Ayton has almost 90 more rebounds than the next closest um, rookie. So it just goes to show on his end that he truly is what people thought. He is someone that will be able to contribute on the board, scoring, and things such as that. So again, statistics are starting to, to separate uh, the, the talent level of the rookies, and uh, with Jaron Jackson, you your Trey Young, Luka Doncic, and DeAndre Ayton. It's clear uh, why they all four were in the top five of the draft. Shifting focus from looking at Jaron Jackson in terms of the rookies around the entire league to Jaron Jackson on the Grizzlies roster. Obviously, a big debate has been, you know, how, how should we use Jaron Jackson? And that JB's not using Jaron Jackson enough. There are obvious reasons why at times he may be limited. Foul trouble, the fact that Jermichael Green, as you know, he Jermichael did last night, the effective play of Jermichael Green, especially in rebounds, may limit some of Jaron's minutes. Yet all those make sense. But one statistic that, that really stood out to me when I was looking at Jaron compared to the Grizzlies' success was this was that when Jaron Jackson Jr. takes 10 shots in a game, the Grizzlies have an 8-4 and four record. And so why did I choose that statistic? Well, the big reason why is this, is because him taking 10 shots to me means three things. Number one, he's playing. Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing enough minutes for him to get in the flow of the game and really be able to settle in with his talent for it to make a difference. The second thing that it means is, is that the Grizzlies are actually running an effective offense. They are featuring Jaron Jackson Jr. Whenever Jaron Jackson Jr. takes 10 shots, that means that he is getting the opportunities. The Grizzlies are putting, are making it a focus to get the ball to him because they feel he is going to be able to give them the best chances of success at getting back at buckets. Just like Mark and Mike, he should be featured night in and night out on offense. And beyond the fact that he's at least playing and being featured, this clearly shows that he's productive. 
When the ball's in his hands, when he's given the chance to be able to score, he's doing it. And he's doing it to a level to where it's adding to the Grizzlies' chances to win. So that's why I chose that stat. Again, when Jaron Jackson here takes 10 shots or more, the Grizzlies are 8-4. and four. If you need any other statistic, no other statistic, in my opinion, shows more that when the Grizzlies feature Jaron Jackson, they're giving themselves the best chance to win. If you follow Twitter, and if you are basically if you're a part of Grizzlies Twitter, um, you've noticed that there have been, you know, almost after each game, there are uh, folks will give a statistical baseline, uh, like the, 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 this number of points through this many games, this number of blocks through this many games, so on and so forth. And it seems just like almost on a nightly basis, there is a new statistical baseline that Jaron Jackson is producing that puts him in an exclusive club um, in terms of rookies in NBA history. And so I took Jaron Jackson's two season or to date this season production, and, and I put it into a database just to see how rare um, his statistical production might be. And right now, Jaron Jackson Jr. is averaging 13.1 points per game. He's averaging one steal per game, and he's averaging um, uh, 1.8 blocks per game. And I went in and I compared that to the NBA rookie, to other rookies in NBA history. And this the results are amazing. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of six players to average 13 points, one steal, and 1.8 blocks in his rookie season. Now, obviously, this is a, the third of the way through Jaron's rookie season, so take it into context. But that should not lessen just how rare of a talent and just how rare of, stati of a statistical monster Jaron Jackson can be. The six players in that group are Jaron Jackson Jr., Marcus Camby, Chris Webber, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, and Patrick Ewan. So what does this mean? Well, it goes to show that Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of only six big men in NBA history who have been able to impact both the offensive and defensive court to the level that he is. Again, as I mentioned earlier, you usually don't see rookies be able to be to be significant contributors on the defensive part of the floor. This right here goes to show just how rare that is. You also have to take into consideration, we're talking about three Hall of Famers between David Robinson, Olajuwon, and Ewing. And with Weber and Camby, those were two of the most heralded, most well-thought-of big men on draft night, likely within the past half century. So this just goes to show how exclusive of a club Jaron Jackson Jr. is in with his statistical production. Shows his rare talent shows that he truly can impact both sides of the court and you know gives further reason as to why she, he should be featured by the Grizzlies. But I'll leave you with this. The biggest takeaway from being in this group of six with Jaron Jackson Jr. is the fact that he is 19 years old. David Robinson was 24. Hakeem Olajuwon was 22. Patrick Ewing was 23 when they were rookies. Jaron Jackson Jr. is 19. He's three to four years behind in his development compared to these rookies, yet is putting up statistics just as they are. If you need any further proof of how rare and how special it is to be able to watch Jaron Jackson Jr. on a nightly basis, there you are. Embrace it. Enjoy it. And if the Grizzlies can start featuring, featuring him more, we should start to see the team be able to win more and more against better competition. We'll be right back with the final segment of today's show.
Welcome back to Locked On Grizzlies. So last night, um, 92 to 83 victory over the Portland Trailblazers, um, a needed and big victory uh, for the Grizzlies. Obviously, uh, coming off um, their two losses, uh, the big one to the Lakers on Saturday night, and then obviously the disappointing one to the Nuggets on um, Monday night. And again, what it came down to was, as I mentioned in yesterday's preview, offensive rebounding had been something that absolutely. Destroyed the Grizzlies in Saturday's game against the Lakers. Led to the big blowout loss. They lost that category again to the Portland Trailblazers. Or, excuse me, to the Denver Nuggets on Monday night. And in the stretch of the schedule that the Grizzlies are in, they are facing some of the best offensive rebounding teams um, in the league. Um, last night coming into the game, in terms of offensive rebounding percentage, in terms of how many times a team gets an offensive rebound per 100 possessions, Coming into last night, Portland was 7th in the league with a 25% offensive rebounding percentage. Obviously one of the best. In last night's game, as I mentioned in yesterday's preview, the Grizzlies needed to prevent the Trailblazers from getting offensive rebounds. They averaged 25% per game. The Grizzlies limited the Trailblazers to only 8.7% last night. So that means instead of 25% of the time them grabbing the offensive rebound in last night's game, they were only to they were only able to grab the offensive rebound 9% of the time. While the Grizzlies were able to grab the offensive rebounds 18% of the time. Overall, the Grizzlies limited the Trailblazers to four offensive rebounds, one of their best totals of the season. So it became clear that rebounding was starting to become more and more of a weakness. The Grizzlies obviously made the scheme changes, adjusted the personnel, and adjusted the focus to really be able to minimize the impact of the offensive rebounds, and it was a big reason why they were able to pull off the victory yesterday. The game didn't start out too well. The Grizzlies were down 9 to nothing um, going into the first quarter. At the end of the first quarter, Portland was up 26-15, to and it seemed like it was one of those instances in which Portland could have been up by nearly 20. A lot of missed shots that they had because they were getting a lot of open looks. But beyond that, after the first quarter, the Grizzlies really decided to get going again on defense, and it truly made the difference going forward as from the second quarter on, the Grizzlies were able to outscore the Trailblazers by 19 points. Uh, Paul McCartney had a song back in the 70s called Live and Let Die. Well, the Grizzlies' philosophy last night when it came to the Portland Trailblazers was limit and let dominate. And that was in terms of limiting the rest of the Trailblazers roster and just letting C.J. McCollum dominate. As Pete Pranica mentioned yesterday, C.J. McCollum, I, I did not look at the statistics, but I would find it hard to believe that C.J. McCollum is more successful against another NBA franchise than he is against the Memphis Grizzlies. Coming into last night, he averaged over 30 points per game in his career against the Grizzlies. We remember from the playoff series from a few years back, that really was one of C.J. McCollum's breakout moments of his career. Well, last night it was truly the same. 40 points scored, um, 16 of 27 from the field, uh, shot nearly 60% um, overall, just was making shots left and right. But beyond his production, the big key to last night's success was how well Memphis was able to limit the rest of the Trailblazers roster. Of course, that starts with Damian Lillard. Four of 18 shooting, um, did not get any real clear looks 
Obviously, Portland was limited in their offensive game plan. There was a lot of switching back and forth between McCollum and Damian Lillard, seeing which one of them had the easier matchup in a certain offensive position. And the Grizzlies just did a great job of staying on Lillard and really brought up their offense. After the game, Lillard was quoted as saying, they brought their bigs up, and that's exactly what they did. As we mentioned yesterday, the, port, the strength of the Portland Trailblazers offense is the production of their guards. So the Grizzlies were able to recognize that and pull their bigs up to really limit the looks and limit the spacing that the guards had to make shots. Also, uh, Mark Gasol, again, coming off a very, very poor performance against Denver in which I, myself, and others criticized him, and it was you know revealed finally that he was dealing with an injury. He had another great game against a very good center, one that was having a breakout year, and Yusuf Nurkic. Um, Nurkic was 1 of 15 from the field, um, and he only scored two points last night, one of his worst games uh, of the year. You can put this right in that category that you could regarding Mark in terms of how well he played against Embiid, how well he played against um, Jokic in the first win against Denver. Mark really showed up last night, and it wasn't in terms of the points scored for Mark. It was in terms of his overall production. He was 4 for 15. His ability to be able to produce on offense simply is not there right now because of the injuries. But beyond the nine points, he had five assists. He had six blocks. He had seven rebounds. He showed the ability to be able, okay, I don't have the athleticism. I don't have the energy or the mobility right now that I need but I definitely still do have my intelligence and awareness. I wrote an article for Grizzly Bear Blues um, uh, probably about, uh, I would say, two weeks ago, talking about how how Mark's intelligence is so invaluable. He knows how to defend these players because of how smart he is, and it showed last night he can still be effective even when physically he is limited, and that made the difference against um, Nurkic and really limited his production. So the amazing thing about the Grizzlies was the fact they were able to limit the uh, offensive rebounds, the fact that individually they were able to stop two of the Trailblazers' um, biggest assets and and a breakout star in Nurkic. But another key takeaway last night was the simple fact that we finally featured Jaron Jackson um, in the fourth quarter, and it it made a big difference. Um, The three late, um, just the energy, um, he made a couple of defensive plays. He had his second highest plus-minus uh, rating. Uh, he was a plus 12 last night. And then obviously along with Jaron Jackson was the play of Jermichael Green. Last night, Jermichael Green brought an energy that was truly needed. You know, there's been a lot of debate, a lot of negative debate in terms of Jermichael Green versus what he means to the Grizzlies. I know regular host Mark King is a big fan of what Jermichael Green brings to the table. And it makes sense. He's our best rebounding asset um, at times. But the thing is, is that he currently is what we need in terms of energy. Through this tight of a schedule, in which other players are definitely fatigued and injured, his energy off the bench is making a big difference. It made a huge difference against the Pelicans. He showed up against the Nuggets, and he sh- and his play last night, really uplifting the Grizzlies after a, a pretty terrible first quarter, was one of the big boosts they needed to come and pull off the victory. So uh, just a great team effort overall. Um, really, really encouraged to see that the Grizzlies noticed the week that rebounding had become, how much it was impacting, how much it was creating a disadvantage for them, and the way that they were able to adjust to limit the Trailblazers' um, ability to get the offensive rebounds um, is quite encouraging. Also, Mike um, seems to be healthy, 23 points last night, uh, shot 50% from the field, 2 of 4 from three-point land, also had six assists and six total rebounds. 
So one of those box score nights in which Mark contributed or which Mike contributed across the board, that clearly seems to be a sign that he's on his way uh, back to good health. So great team victory last night. Encouraging that the Grizzlies were able to make such a quick adjustment on the fly uh, to, to minimize a weakness. And again, the ability to put Jaron Jackson, their usage of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jermichael Green, that's going to allow for them to be able to, going forward, um, have consistent energy and have consistent offensive production late into the game, which is sorely needed. Um, again, my name is Sean Coleman, filling in for Mark King this week. I can't thank you enough for joining us again. Um, in tomorrow's episode, which will be Friday, uh, we'll start off the uh, the show uh, going to, doing a little bit of a deep dive um, into uh, the Grizzlies' um, schedule and just what to expect from the Grizzlies um, going forward uh, for the rest of 2018. In the second segment, we'll discuss the um, weekend's battles um, tomorrow night against the uh, um, Miami Heat and then Saturday against the Houston Rockets. And then in the third segment, just going to give a little bit of my opinion um, in regards to the, the Memphis basketball scene as a whole. Pretty exciting time for Grizzlies and Tigers fans. And just from an outside perspective as a as a person who grew up outside of Memphis, um, uh, truly what it means to be a part of this experience and uh, how much uh, fans should enjoy and embrace it. So thanks again for joining us. Have a great Thursday, and we'll see you tomorrow.